Split Tube Media and a Synesthesia Podcast present a special daily October podcast. Help. Help, 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 help. To the king, king, king. Jason, have you read Stephen King's books? Have you read Stephen King's books? Books, 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 books. King movie, a Stephen King movie. Movie a Stephen King movie. King. Movie a Stephen King movie. I have done my best to scare the shit out of you guys. Um. Oh, I had some joke I was going to start with tonight, but I can't remember what it is. So fuck it. Uh, who cares? <laughs> who cares about anything anymore? I have a question I wanted to start this one with. Jake. You should ask me that question. Um, we are not watching all of the Stephen King films. Correct. But but you did choose to have us watch this film. Is it because you hate me? <laughs> um. So, oh, I remember what I was going to say, and it, it is it that I did something to upset <laughs> you. Is that what you were going to say? It, it goes well with uh, that question, which is that I when I made this list. Yes. I did not know that the Tommyknockers was a 1,500-hour TV movie. <laughs> it is. Or rather, a it's miniseries. A, it's a full season of a terrible TV show. Um, I thought it was a relatively normal-length TV movie mm-hmm. that would just kind of be there. I didn't. I thought the only other TV miniseries we were going to do was The Shining. Right. And I so this is this is not in there. Which is and the shining is gonna be four and a half to six hours, depending on how many of the commercials you watch, but it's gonna be worth it. Because I feel like that's a thing that we should even as a person who isn't watching every single Stephen King movie he can find, I feel like that's a thing that's worth understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Culturally. And like the seeing what, what he wanted to do differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like how uh, how he sees this thing that's become such a huge cultural touchstone. Yeah, exactly. But out of his control. But the Tommyknockers, Jason, I don't there's no cultural import to this. Well, you say that. I do. I just said it. I just said it right now. I'll say it again if you want me but to. But did you notice that this is a TV Jason, movie? There's no cultural import to this film. Did you notice that this is a TV movie in which yes. Tracy Lords plays Yes. Okay. No, that's true. <laughs> Plays you, you have a good point. a woman who vaporizes two policemen with a lipstick. Yeah, no, that's true. There are definitely so, Jason. This movie is way too long. It's so for what it is. It's so long. <laughs> but there are ten good things in it, right? Yeah. Um, there are some bits. If this movie were thirty-three minutes in total, uh, and Jimmy Smiths were a little bit sweatier, it would be a great thirty-three minutes. Um, we we're we're knocking Tommies here today. Yeah, on we're gonna knock the Tommies on hell to the out king. Of this, straight out of this um, We're we're talking about the the nineteen ninety. Oh my god! Everything just disappeared. What happened? Who cares? Ninety five. Something it's co-produced and written, Jason, by Fake Larry Cohen. I know. Yeah, um, coming back around the nineteen ninety three TV miniseries of the Tommy Knockers. Mm-hmm. Um, that. 
I probably shouldn't have put on our list, but I did. So here yeah, we are. And we watched it. Um, I feel like we're back in Cujo territory a little bit. Which, Jason, the first half of this movie ends with a lady saying, he's acting like a regular Cujo. <laughs> uh, at which point, I was like, you, this whole film, are acting like a regular Cujo. It's true, Joe. Yeah. Ooh, um, Joe. So I, I mean that both in that this is a very bad movie. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also in that you can kind of squint, or at least this mm-hmm. was my argument about Cujo, you could squint yeah. and see this movie even with, like, roughly the same script. Yeah. With some judicious edits being good if mm-hmm. the director w- knew how to, like, create genuine human interactions with the yeah. actors. No, I, I'll, I'll get on board with that. Because... If this, I mean, if this were 90 minutes long, it would already just be stronger. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a lot of trying to fill three hours in this movie. Yes. Uh, but fundamentally, Jason, this is a movie about a lady in a small town finds some weird buried architecture in the woods and starts digging it up. And everyone in town starts having this green mystic glow and inventing machines that are like the Pee Wee Herman breakfast machine. They're all inventing these super wackadoo goofball machines that do inane (laughs) things uh, using, like, it'll be like two steam irons underneath tennis balls blowing them up in the air, and that wobbles back and forth and (laughs) makes a a bunch of corn bounce around on a pan, and that types of story. You know, it's, it's super... Super wacky, uh, charming machines. And those are super delightful. And I could watch more of that. That's a thing that is happening consistently in this film, but I don't feel like we ever spend time with. But that's delightful. Um, And as you said, Tracy Lord's uh, just kind of being there (laughs) is really delightful. (laughs) And being the murderous maniac in the town who, who, yeah, who makes a lipstick gun, uh, which, which is sort of... So everyone's making these weird machines based on this green energy, except for one kid who invents a magic trick that makes things just completely disappear, which is the only thing that doesn't, it sort of steps outside of the logic of all of the other things that are happening, because the rest are based on simple mechanics. Right. Uh, and his is disappearing things, but then Tracy Lords also finds this disappearing aspect. So then, then there are no rules. Um, well, it's like, the, and also it's like the, Jimmy Smith is a drunk poet with a metal plate. <laughs> a drunk poet named Guard. The guard, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it's sort of, uh, it's like the 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 wackadoo element of it is the overall influence of this thing that's happening. Yeah. But then yeah. within that, it's almost like that's a cover for these these select specific things that you know the thing causing the influence wants to have happen, which sure. is sure, these sure. things to disappear and these you know these people to go where they are supposed to go. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of allowing for people to to feel like it's helping them in a way which i kind of like as again like as just a core idea i kind of like that you know here's this weird alien force and it's going to make everybody just go crazy but not in all together a terrible way just like yeah for them everybody's getting weird everybody's getting a little off and then underneath that there's a few things that are like oh wait no that's not good yeah but but you maybe wouldn't even notice it because you know people are making a flying dog collar you know yeah exactly um but then there's other 
there's Jason, right at the beginning of the movie, a bunch of children go on a tour of the police station, and there's a room in the police station that is 40 feet long and 20 feet wide and just full of one of the police officer's doll collection. What world is that from? That's a completely insane... And then the dolls start freaking out the kids, and then later they come to life in one scene for no reason. It's... That's there's one scene in this movie, Jason, that was directed by Charles Band, and I, <laughs> I didn't understand where it was coming from. Um, super bizarre. But there's also, I mean, there's like a bunch of there's one scene that's in a vet's office and it's flashing around the vet's office and everyone's freaking out. But like a kid has a pet owl, <laughs> someone has a pet cobra, and someone has a komodo dragon. It's it's there. Are, there's an underlying. Why don't you get insanity. your dog out of here? To this whole town. Yes, yeah, says the kid with an owl, right? And you're like, why don't you let your creature exist in the wild? It's not real. Um, no, it, th- there is this... Like, I because the, the whole dolls thing... Yeah. Like, it's, it's not... It was not clear to me. Maybe it was clear mm. to you or to other people who watch this. But it seemed like maybe the dolls ability to come to life predated yeah. all of the events well, of the film yeah because they do that at the beginning yeah and then she talks to them happening. as yes. if that happens as though they're alive she's yeah. like one of you I, better talk to me which feels to me like one of those things that in the novel maybe it's a thing he sort of spends a little bit of time with and then the movie it's one. it's like you know it's like in the shining where danny's psychic ability has nothing to do with what's going on right right, right. Like it's it's a separate they're like also she has this collection of dolls some of them are alive or at least uh, like one of the one of those things that he throws in to make you know suggestions of a larger world yeah exactly it's <clears throat> it's a part it's not part of this particular story but it is part of the world of the story that one of the police officers has an enormous collection of alive dolls in the in the police station yeah now i don't know if that's in the book that's what it is in the movie. it seems like yeah so but but it it could just be something like it could be lawrence d cohen trying to channel that aspect of things and Um, just being a crazy person i guess yeah because they also throw in um what is it oh there's that other sheriff who's visiting from Derry. and Derry is the The town that she's in love with yeah Oh right, right. Which I, all, which I knew. I, I knew. I knew Derry, right? I think. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, He's trying to make his own starts... little King universe on ABC yeah. television. <laughs> yeah, his Larry Cohen universe. Um, the, when everyone starts getting affected by the by the, we we find out in the last fifteen minutes that they're aliens um, inside right. of these cubes and that they're trying to harness people's energy like the Matrix. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But when everyone starts getting affected, they all become psychics, Jason, psychics. Um, and uh, and they, uh, you know, they start inventing things and making each other disappear. And for me, the saddest part of that whole sequence is when uh, Barney Applegate, the main kid's best friend, loses his glasses. He doesn't lose them. He doesn't have to wear them anymore. Because he he's this dorky kid with a bowl cut and giant comedy glasses. Yeah. And then suddenly he doesn't have giant comedy glasses anymore. And it's really disappointing. My favorite line in the movie, this is, it's a low-key line, I think, but I think my favorite is right at the beginning, uh, when the super, the dad of the kid that disappears is just super chill and weirdo the whole movie. From, again, from way before anything starts happening, his attitude towards everything is relaxed and, and off-kilter. Um, and it starts, the opening of this film is like a live-action, 
unloving Bob's Burgers, where they're all in the restaurant that yes. he runs, and the kids are running around, and the kids, uh, I don't remember what they say, they say something about, they're like, ah, Gramps said that we could do this, and he yells, Gramps doesn't pay the bills around here! And I was like, ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, laid back We're is not the way I'd describe movie. him exactly. <laughs> well, I, I guess but, I mean laid back in that when his children disappear, he's like, well, the police are doing all that they can do. Yeah, I think he's just a man who hates his children. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fair. <laughs> And maybe just his entire family. Yeah, uh, that guy yeah. was very. Uh, all of his performance choices were strange. Yeah, from yes. the get. Fun quiz trivia fact. Yeah, this, quiz trivia. Maybe this is fact. we we've had a number of of repeat thirty six. Yes, correct. Thank you. We've had a number of of, of repeat directors. Uh, oh, some yeah. some that are coming up that we that we were like surprised to find out that we were reading about, and some like yesterday when we were like George Romero, what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, this one mm-hmm. is the secret sort of return of Louis Teague. Is it? <laughs> because he was the original director hired to shoot this and then got fired after like four days oh. and replaced with whoever did direct it. Interesting. So he set the terrible, terrible tone. I Perhaps, I don't know, maybe just having the director fired set the tone. Sure. That but I mean, even will, if, can it was, wreck with if he the made production. it to production, he made a lot of decisions. Yeah. That is true. That is true. Um, yeah, no, two days of filming, according to the... Good for him. I wonder which two days. I think, basically, he just got a free flight to New Zealand. Which seems that right. Do you yeah. think he hung out? Do you think he still... He must have had a flight back at the end of the at the end of the uh, shooting days. Do you think he left the plane ticket the same and just, like, hung out in a field? <laughs> Trying some tea. Just, just, just think, showing up as a Tommyknocker like Richard Stanley on yeah. the island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah, just rolled around. Just putting things, on some makeup and people. hanging out on set. Yeah. <laughs> so this is also the other reason we're in Cujo territory. Mm-hmm. Um, is because I believe this is the other book that he doesn't remember writing. Oh, sure. That makes sense. Um, and the one that he explicitly disowns. <laughs> Oh, this this movie found it feels like you're falling down a hill. It feels like it just the further the further the movie goes, the less any of it makes sense. Yeah, it's like you're you're just being hurled away from. It's like he has a log line and then he's he's trips and and falls off of off of a cliff over it. Yeah, um, um, yeah, and and the movie is diverges from the book in that uh, the book ends a lot bleaker in that like almost everybody dies. And mm-hmm. everybody who doesn't die just gets scooped up by the shop to be studied. I don't know if that's bleaker. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be a correct ending. <laughs> I mean, sure, it might be correct, but, you know. Um, I mean, I don't know that it's positive to let all these people run loose, is all I'm saying. Um, the, the cop, the main cop, the, the one who's visiting from Derry, I guess, throughout the whole movie drinks a soda named Cola Cool. <laughs> I was pretty into. <laughs> if I liked cola, I would I would seek that out. Find me some cola cool. Yeah, it would make you cool. It does feel like it feels Jason like this movie is or this story, I guess, is is uh what is it the the, the color from space, the color out of space or invasion of the body snatchers. Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. feels it feels like this is Stephen King not trying at all, which is it makes sense to me that it's one that he doesn't remember because it feels like this is one that was written with zero thought. Yeah, this is this is the last book he wrote, the last novel he wrote before getting clean, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and what he when he talks about it, he's like, you know, I, there's it's it's a 200 page idea that I wrote for 700 pages because cocaine. I I like that he thinks it's a 200 page idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, as a novel for him, like that's yeah, that's fairly no, short no, for him. I, that, yeah. And that's what I'm not. I mean that like I like that for Stephen King, this is a 200 page idea yeah. because this is for anyone else a seven page idea. <laughs> this is our second Jason uh, Killer Soda Machine is in this film. Oh shit. Yeah. Good catch. It, it grabs the cop's arm and explodes. I was really focused on the killer lipstick. <laughs> yeah. Killer well, soda yeah, machine is pretty crucial. Understandable. Yeah. Um, this also had, this is this is continuing the runner of genuinely terrible and boring films still having at least one thing that affects me deeply. Uh, uh, yeah. Because they make a little boy disappear. Yes. <laughs> and it's not until way towards the end that there's even a hint that he's going to come back. <laughs> Yeah. Um and that was that like just conceptually being yeah. at a like a a big kids party and mm-hmm. then having one of your children put the other child in a box and then they take yeah. the thing off and he never comes back like Yeah. That's maybe the most disturbing conceptual thing. That's a that real nightmare. We've hit in any of these movies. So like if that was minute 1 of this movie and then the rest of the movie dealt with that, it would be a good movie that isn't this movie at all. Oh yeah, 100%. Instead you have to wait almost to the end of the first hour and a half yeah. to get to that scene. And by that time I was so numbed out that it took yeah. me a minute to understand what was happening and then once I did, it was like all of the sanity in my brain melted into my eyes which just started bleeding tears. It was It also <laughs> It doesn't help, Jason, that everyone is such a dick to that kid who's trying to do magic tricks. So and much. Because they, they all... It's his big finale magic trick, and they all just get up and leave in the middle of it. Yeah. Because he's, he's making things disappear and then reappear, and he does a couple of small things, and then he makes a kid disappear, and everyone's like, cool, whatever, and gets up and leaves. Yeah. And you're like, wait, he, aren't you going to wait for him to reappear that he's in the middle of his finale? Yeah. They'll just storm out. That but kid got even, it's a raw deal I, from minute one. In in earlier when he's doing legitimate sort of illusions, um, <laughs> he uh, in his in his classroom he has a trick that's called the black and white rabbit, or maybe the white and black <laughs> rabbit, where he where he puts a white rabbit underneath a box and like does a little magic thing and then makes his teacher come over and flip a switch and it blasts black powder all over his face <laughs> and turns him completely black and the whole class is like meh uh, and that's really funny yeah. that's a great magic trick no i mean that kid is a hero and yeah <laughs> i was real mad that no one no one else thought it was as good as i did <laughs> Because even if it wasn't, because he sets it up like he's on the black and white rabbit, and you're like, oh, then I know exactly what's going to happen. And then he subverts it and bl- blasts black powder over all over a guy's face. But even if it weren't clever in that way, if you're in third grade and someone shoots powder all over your teacher, you're going to either be horrified or think it's hilarious, yeah. depending on your personality. And all the kids just know Salem entirely. I was real mad. Anyway, that's no, what I I, I, I I cared very much. But both of those kids at different points in time gave me heart pain and i it it offends me that this series has made me uh go through those kinds of feelings for some of the worst movies (laughs) i've ever seen which almost makes them worse because you're not expecting anything to affect you yeah because you're so bored and then they're like you're just kind of like an open wound (laughs) yeah so 
There, I have two plot questions that I don't know if you or anyone in the world, including Lawrence Cohen, can answer. I, um, I will answer them confidently. So this movie... Oh, so Jimmy Smith is a drunk alcoholic with a metal plate in his head, and that metal plate acts like a tinfoil hat, right? The whole yeah. time. The aliens can't get him. Just a super funny idea. Yeah, it's ridiculous and, and charming. It's, that's a good bit. Though. And, and made me want to see the Tommyknockers redone with the cast of The Adventures of Pete and Pete. Oh, And putting yes, the mom in the role like of guard. Putting the mom in the role of Jimmy Smith. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how, where would you put Artie the World's Strongest Man? Ooh, good question. <laughs> I would put him as the grandfather. I, that's exactly what I was about to say. Because <laughs> mm. he's the only adult that believes. Wh- which Pete is Tracy Lords? <laughs> um, no, Tracy Lords is Michael Stipe guest starring. <laughs> Correct. Correct answer. But current day big beard Michael Stipe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, We're not making this in the 90s. What are we, time travelers? Get over <laughs> it, audience. I'm assuming they're the ones who made that mistake, not me. Yeah. Uh... So, so at the end of the movie, they go, in, like, ten minutes from the end, they go into this alien ship, and it turns out it's a ship full of aliens. Uh, Terrible-looking aliens. <laughs> and they are harnessing the people's power to steal their energy so they can exist. I don't know. Who cares? Um, yeah. But one of them, it's... So, Jimmy Smith's alcoholic poet and uh, Bobby, his, his uh, love interest... His lover. Who writes uh, romance novels, which feels like, again, it's the same character from The Dark Half and from Misery, but kind of split into two people, right? Are they it's romance like, novels? I thought they were westerns. Oh, I don't Maybe know. they're western romances? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. She, she writes some kind of pap that Stephen King doesn't care about. Yeah. Because at some point she makes a machine that can type on a typewriter and writes her best book. Yeah, but um, that he's also... What she writes is garbage. That he's also using as a stand-in for his own work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much and as in Misery, because the telepathic typewriter saying, is yeah. obviously his cocaine. Yeah, and then and in this scenario, Jimmy Smith is also him because Jimmy Smith is the aspirational part that wants to make the other things that James Caan also wants to make until he's disabused of that. Uh, but he but he can't. He's written one book of good poetry and can't get anything else out yes. because of his alcoholism. Um, just if we're gonna, I didn't mean to throw in the King read on there, but I, <laughs> I did. I it just look they they come for you. It's, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to avoid them. Um, but they, they're in love, and she is the most into the aliens and he's the least into the aliens and then they go into the alien ship and he's convinced her that he wants to be an alien lover and in the ship she's like wait no you're not oh what's the changed you're not changed or whatever i think it's funnier than that the word they used um (laughs) this is jason another one where the engines come into play yeah buddy yeah big Um, big engine forest (laughs) yeah (laughs) jesus Uh, christ but so they get into this thing, and one of the aliens shows up and starts chasing them around. And Jimmy Smith's chopped its head off, mm-hmm. and then Bobby, his lover, is fine. That saves her. Uh, but everyone else is still under alien control, and I didn't understand why. Why? So, so the reason why is because of her proximity to the alien that is the one... Well, not the one necessarily, but is part of whatever this group cabal of aliens is that's causing this Mm -hmm. psychic interference. So Mm -hmm. when Jimmy Smith chops its head off, that is an insanely traumatic event to its body and mind. And the Mm -hmm. feedback loop created by that, because she's so close... It mm-hmm. it basically it's like it's like a like a, you know two sine waves canceling each other out. Oh, okay. It's like you a know? sine and a cosine. Yes, yeah, sine and a cosine. That's what I meant. So it it, right, it, right. it like it hits her changed brain and her changed brain waves hit it and then they just like flatline and reset and then she's fine. 
Thank you. Thank you. Now I like the movie. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Jason. Um, there's a, <laughs> what else can I solve? <laughs> there's one. So there's one other. Jimmy Smith then straps himself into a chair in the ship that just gives him control over the whole ship. Yeah. Uh, which is, sure, that's the control system. But it also lets him just explode aliens if they're running towards him by squinting at them. And that I also didn't understand. Well, so the aliens are using a particular type of technology that's like, mm-hmm. it it's mechanical and organic. It's orgomechanical. Oh, and so, okay. They're part of the ship. The ship's part of them. That's you know. Mm. There, there's this intertwining of alien being an alien ship. And so when I Jimmy see. Smith hooks in, he's he's willingly hooking in, and so he's able to telepathically control everything. But because I of see. his metal plate, it can't get back in to control him. So he basically that's the one place that he'll be the most powerful, and he's in all of them all at once, and can do whatever he wants to them. I see. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what the, you know, it makes sense because that's how it is. Yeah, no, no, no. I, yeah. I, no. And I feel like I saw Orga Mechanical written on, on something in the background in the ship, and I just didn't put it together. Orga Mechanical Incorporated, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, like yeah, stamped they, on a crate. Yeah, they built the, uh, yeah. Stuff. It was right next to the Gasahol tank. Oh, right. I, yeah, I should, I just need to pay more attention. Yeah, you know, I, that's why I'm here. Yeah. Um, um, I don't, do you have any, any other Tommies to knock around? No, man. That's every. That is three hours of knocking Tommies, and that's all the thoughts I had the whole time. Right? Like, there's just not that much in the movie. No, no. Yeah, I got nothing else on this one, man. This was. (laughs) This is some some tepid bathwater. It is. It is exactly that. There's nothing to be excited about or get mad about, really. So, one of the reasons I actually. I did pick this movie i didn't just pick it out of a hat like it wasn't just you know it was on the list of stephen king movies and i didn't realize it was that long but it yeah, also was on my short list in my head of things we should watch well it's Be- one that i had heard of yeah i mean that's kind of the thing the yeah right and i feel like most people are somehow familiar yeah. with it you know yeah. and and i think it it feeds to to my conception of Stephen King movies going in, which I think in large part was based on the fact that it and the Tommy Knockers and that kind of stuff was what yeah. was on TV all the yes. time when we were all growing up. So it's like, oh, that's what Stephen King is. Yeah. In my memory from childhood, it's predicated on this concept that the, the, the Tommy Knockers are coming for you. Um, you know, they're like, ooh, they're coming. The Tommy Knockers are coming. But yes. that's not, they're not. That's not how the movie works. The Tommyknockers are buried underground for two hours and 45 minutes until someone goes and invades their home. <laughs> the Tommyknockers are just giving people powers to do things with. They're, they're not even... I, if they're even... Also, everyone calls them Tommyknockers. Why do they call them Tommyknockers? It's apparently based on some kind of old thing Stephen King heard someone say in the 50s, but it doesn't make any sense. It's like a weird old dumb rhyme. Tommyknocker, Tommyknocker, knocking off your Tommies. You never get away from them unless you get salami. You put it in a trap and it snaps on their head and then they'll never wake up because you Tommyknock them dead. Yeah, it's and an old. They just it's an decide old that those aliens from, are the Tommy Knocker mans. Yeah, late last night and the night before, 
Tommy knockers, Tommy knockers, knocking at the door. Yeah, which I want to go out. Don't know if I can because I'm so afraid of the Tommy knocker man. The poem itself doesn't even make any sense. Like it doesn't internally sense because first of all, there's Tommy knockers knocking at the door, but then there's the Tommy knocker man. Well, he owns them. He owns the Tommy knockers. Oh, okay. He uh, there's a herd of Tommy knockers owned by the time they're all knocking at the doors, and he's like, "Get back in the Tommy knocker van, you Tommy knockers! Quit knocking all those Tommies." Also, not only does it not make internal sense, Jason, but it, it has nothing to do with what the, the things are in the movie. They're not out at night. They're not knocking on the door. I always no. imagined it was a bunch of little things like critters that were like banging on the sides of your house and smashing on the walls. You know, or I thought something. they were trying to. I thought they were trying to get into people's houses. Uh, yeah, or like, and that's or, not even a little bit what happened. They they do come come knocking on that car, even though it's rocking with Tracy Lords and the mailman or whatever he is. Did they knock on it though? Well, they like they they knock the car around. Oh, okay, sure. You know, I was just sure. I it was I was just trying to make a dumb joke. Jim. Wait, try it again, again. They did come knocking on that car, even though it was rocking. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Hell to the King is a special presentation of the Synesthesia Podcast, produced by Iguana Donald Studios, and distributed by Split Tooth Media. Music by Loyalty Freak. Hell to the King is recorded without the consent of all parties involved. The transgression is part of the turn-on. Tracy Lords plays. Yes. Okay. No, that's true. <laughs> she, 